Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Writes Podcast with your host, Shukri Writes. Today, we'll speak with Brian Anderson, the television play-by-play announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers. He is also currently a play-by-play announcer for NBA on TNT, Major League Baseball on TBS, as well as the PGA Championship as well. We also speak about his experience in, in broadcasting, some seminal moments that he has had the privilege of calling, as well as some insight and really good advice for any broadcaster that's looking to break into the industry. Hope you enjoy. Joining me live right now on the on the Sugar Rights Podcast is a familiar voice if you watch baseball, the NBA, and Major League, uh, Major League Baseball, as well as some golf. He is a play-by-play voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, Major League Baseball on TBS, and as well as the NBA and TNT, and as well as some work on NBA TV, is the one and only Mr. Brian Anderson. Good afternoon to you, uh, Mr. Anderson. How are you doing today? Oh, Shukri, I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for, for joining um, on, on this special episode. Now, now I, I got to ask you, now, with sports having come to an absolute halt considering um, the coronavirus pandemic, what is one thing that has helped keep you going, um, whether it, whether if it's sports interest or even, like, spending more time like, with family and, and, and other activities? Well, you know, for me, uh, I went through my, you know, selfish things, too, wondering what my what my next few months are going to look like, um, if I'm going to still get paid, if there's going to be any games for me to call, doing what I do every day, the rhythm I'm in uh, was was gone. And so I went through moments. Uh, basically, when I, I was in Indianapolis to call the Big Ten tournament wow. for Big Ten Network, and they, of course, canceled that tournament. Rutgers in Michigan were on the floor in the layup lines, and I was on the sideline ready to call that game at the table and uh, we had actually hit the air ready for a noon start and of course they canceled it and uh, canceled the tournament so I uh, I went straight to the rental car facility I rented a car I drove from Indianapolis to Milwaukee a four and a half hour drive and just had a lot of time to reflect and think and you know the first probably hour I was a lot of anxiety as I was nervous about whether I was going to be retained, you know, where payments were going to come from, how I was going to pay my mortgage, kind of a spy thinking. And then about an hour into it, you know, I just remembered something. I uh, come from a faith background, and I just remembered something that um, I had been taught many years before, and that's to try to replace those selfish thought thoughts of service and serving other people. And so. I'm just, I've done that, you know. I've been I've been disciplined to do that. I've done in my realm as much as I can to help broadcasting students, journalism students. I've been appearing on a lot of Zoom chats wow. with different universities. Yeah. Uh, I've been critiquing a lot of tapes, um, you know. So these broadcasters would send demo re- links, and, and I, I spent a lot of time and uh, just trying to help them, you know, and give them especially students who are home and kind of this new world of virtual lectures and whatnot. Um, I've just been filling up my days doing things like that, doing podcasts like this and guys like you who are out there um, trying to produce content and entertain people and trying to make myself available. So I've replaced that 
those selfish thoughts with those service thoughts and I wake up every day and just trying to be in the moment and serve wherever I can. Absolutely, and and and, and your and your um, graciousness is definitely um, very much impacted by individuals like myself who are working hard to make a name for himself in the in, in the broadcast industry. Currently, being a radio host for ninety one five FM WMFO in, in the Greater Boston area, um, although I'm not currently on the airwaves due to the coronavirus, unfortunately, but. Um, but but still, um, you're making the time and making use of the time to actually, you know, create content and as well as like do podcasts and so forth. Thanks to the advice of some, of some um, really um, good people that I have that I have in my life. So, um, so one thing that I, I wanted to ask you to to to, to get things on rolling is when you when, when you first developed this this. Amazing talent and ability for you to do play-by-play of various different sports because not everybody can do it. And you have the ability to do baseball. You've done golf. You've done the NBA and March Madness and so forth. Take us through some of some of the the ways that you prepare of doing a broadcast for for different sports and different entities and so forth and some of the challenges that goes into into um into preparing and so forth well i always played multiple sports growing up i was uh, i was a college baseball player that's the sport um but i i played high school football in the state of texas you know like everything you imagine about texas high school football i was I was a captain on my football team, and and I played a lot of pickup basketball. I, I stopped playing for the school after eighth grade, just focused on football and basketball. But you know, I always play. I played golf. I played basketball, football. I uh, was always competing in one way or another. And I had an older brother who played in the major leagues, and and wow. he was going through the minor league system, which was important to my career. Um, when I was kind of in those formative years as I was wrapping up my college days, he was in the minor leagues on his way up to making it to the major leagues in 1993, which was uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, I kind of had him as a guy that I I always wanted to play. Um, At the same time, I had a notion I wasn't going to be good enough to play professionally. And I enjoyed my college experience as a player and an athlete, a scholarship athlete. And... I wanted to just try to utilize that, and I wasn't thinking big picture at all. It's just something that, well, I basically, to entertain myself and others, I would just call play-by-play. Like, I would sit in the dugout if I wasn't playing. Um, I was a catcher, so I usually didn't catch both games of doubleheaders. I'd catch one, and then I would sit on the bench the next game and so I would just start calling plays and I did that basketball we played three on three and if my team got knocked out of the loop I would sit on the sideline and just call play by play of the basketball games and my friends enjoyed it they always you know always had a lot of positive things to say so that's kind of the foundation of of the versatility I, I didn't get into this trying to be versatile or call a lot of sports it was more just about surviving and my first opportunity was to call Texas high school football games on the radio. So I jumped at it. Wow. And I did, a, I did a game every week. And then I had a chance simultaneously to call minor league baseball games in San Antonio in the Texas League. And so I did that. And 
college, college basketball games on television, like uh, small conference colleges, like the South Southland Conference and the Midcon. I did the Big 12 Women's Package. So I was just doing whatever gigs were available because I'm trying to make this a profession. And the years here, you know, kind of between 1994 and 2000, probably 2004 or so. Um, So I was doing all of this and I still needed extra income because I wasn't making a lot of money back then. So I worked at a golf course and I... I ran corporate tournaments and I folded shirts and made tea times and I worked for this golf resort. So all of this just kind of was swirling around and the things that I was doing. Now, all of it ends up paying off. Each piece of this puzzle that I just laid out paid off in one way or another in my career. Um, but at the time, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just like, okay, is this, can I do this job? Are they flexible? Will they let me go do X? Yes, they will. I'll take it. Uh, this job, they'll let me do this. Okay, I'll take that. And so I was just used to going and changing gears and mentally with prep and all of that to each sport, whatever the gig was, and just dive into it. And the one connection, the constant of all of that is the stories of the players and coaches, like the human story yeah. is is the same with any sport. So I, that's where I started. It didn't matter that I was doing a football game or a baseball game or basketball or swimming and diving or soccer or golf. The stories were the thing that I latched on first. Now, ultimately, you have to start um, changing or or at least being intentional about your verbiage and the way things are described and some of the language of each sport. And that's where I would spend a lot of time, you know, learning, not learning, but because I knew a lot of it and I would speak a lot of it because I played a lot of the sports, but honing in on on what do... A plus broadcasters in this particular sport. How do they describe things? So, mm-hmm. I mean, in football, I mean, listen to a guy like Al Michaels. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. Or Pat Summerall in basketball. You know, I was listening to Marv Albert and Dick Stockton, and you know, baseball guys like Ben Scully. And so, I was pulling from the masters of their craft, and then kind of formulating my own system and style and verbiage um, when I was doing these sports. So, again, none of this I was doing was I thinking like, oh, this is all going to pay off. It, it was literally about, there's a job, they've offered it to me, I'm taking it, do the best you can, and then do the next one. So trying to just be present in all of those moments. And that's my biggest recommendation to young announcers is you, you need to have goals, and you need to set goals and have ambition, but when you're doing the job, be fully present in that job and, and don't be thinking about the next five words out of my mouth may get me a job next year. It can't be that way. Or you're gonna, you're gonna fail. You're gonna, then you're gonna drive yourself crazy. And you, you make such a poignant point in living in the moment because I feel like for people who are always or for for thinkers, and this is this is a it's a good trait to have, but there are moments where it can backfire. And and and, and the one thing I want I want to ask you is that. In being a top tier play by play man, you a lot a lot of times it, for, for the fan like they may, they may think that well he must have rehearsed this or she must have rehearsed this and so forth. Explain the importance of living in that moment, especially if it's a big moment in a game or something potentially historic. Yeah, I mean that's 
to me, that's the only way to actually do it in an authentic way. Be yourself, because you will get exposed, if, especially if you're doing as many games as I do and I was doing. I mean, I was doing 140 minor league baseball games. I was doing 30 NBA games. I was doing 25 college basketball games. Like, I was constantly, I was like that shark in the water that never stops. Wow. If you're not your true self, A, you're going to, you're not speaking in your true mechanics uh, with your voice and your delivery, uh, you're going to lose your voice. You're going to lose your energy. You're going to get sapped. You're you're going to get overwhelmed with your thoughts and your comparative thinking. So all of that needs to be put aside. That doesn't mean you can't sit back after you do the game and critique yourself, listen to yourself, evaluate how to get better, how to sharpen your axe. Um, but but not when you're in the moment. So the general philosophical perspective is, you know, we, and I, I applied this to broadcasting as well, but we are not in a universe of scarcity. So you can offer empathy and love, and that never ends. You can be thoughtful of others. You can serve other people. You can help others. Try to promote them and help their careers. And if you're doing that, kind of like back to that original question you asked of what I've been doing, you replace those selfish thoughts with those service thoughts, and that will that's always been kind of my theme, whether I'm dealing with social distancing right now or whether I'm trying to make it to the next level to pay my bills. It, it still has to be the same thing. You can't say to yourself, well, when I make it, then I'll start to be... Uh, more charitable and more giving with my time. Mm. That's not the case. And it, and most people don't do that. You actually get more selfish the more you get. You become a hoarder. You want all the games. You want all the notoriety, all the publicity. So start those habits now is what I'd say if you're a young announcer listening in. And try to be helpful to other people if you're feeling selfish. And for me, it, that's what kind of saved me because I was going crazy. I was in the minor leagues nine years. Wow. And I saw a lot of people get jobs, pass me over, get Major League Baseball jobs, move on to different things. And I felt like I was stuck. But as I look back on it now, it's easy to say, well, maybe there were lessons I needed to be learned and I wasn't to be trusted yet with a big league job or this success. I mean, that's an easy place to land on. But while you're in it, you don't even want to hear that. You know, you're frustrated and... It's exhausting to be on the buses and do 140 games and never see a family and not make any money um, do 140 games in six months. So, But I love doing what I did. I love doing the games. And so that was the idea. Just like put yourself in the moment. Don't. Not everything has to be a stepping stone to the next thing. It can be, but just be. The word B-E, just be in the moment. And when I did that, which probably took me five years too long to figure that out, but when I started doing that, man, my career took off and my broadcasting took off and I became, I developed my own, my style, the way I sound. I was not afraid. I was just going to, I was letting it fly. And so nine years in the minor leagues, I get to the major leagues and the next year, I'm on national tel television, the national network, yeah. and I've been there ever since. Like, it went really fast once I kind of figured that out, but it took me forever to understand all of that. Wow. And and when you, when you 
talked about that nine-year journey in the main in the minor leagues where it's very easy to become like discouraged and you say you know maybe this isn't for me this isn't cut out for me and and, and I want to hone on that on that particular point because even now like for me personally where like my my radio broadcasting career as a talk show host and now as a podcaster is is starting to to, to take shape and form that what advice would you have for anyone who is who, who is passionate about his and her craft while understanding that you don't get to success overnight or whatever your definition of success may be yeah that comparative thinking is, is the one thing I would I would tell anybody you included to try to eradicate it it's I still do it everybody does it it's part of human nature but to name it acknowledge it uh, and get rid of it at least put it in in you know its own virtual compartment that you can lock away because the comparative thinking is really what what takes you down because you start looking around well this person's going here and this person's getting this job and I'm not and you you start the whole why me factor you know the the other side is that why not you why not me um, and that works both ways for good things and bad things I, I remember all those years of not getting jobs saying why is this happening to me then turning that around saying well why why not I mean have you why are you special why are you different and then flipping that to the next side to the other side before calling a, a big playoff game saying wait why, why me why am I in this position and turning that around to the positive like well, why not me I've I put in the time I've called all I've called all these games so it works both sides um, and ultimately it's it's just diving into what you think is the best way in that moment and that may not be the best way in six months or a year but in that moment survive to the next day just like our you know the march madness theme survive in advance that's yeah. kind of what we're all trying to do here so <laughs> it, it runs on parallel tracks you know you have to at the same time you are flooding the market with demos with tapes and trying to get established and you know mainly it, it really boils down to from that track that you want to make a living at this you want to feed your family you want to feed yourself you want to have a more you know be able to pay for things it's a career so that's kind of, you know acknowledge that like yeah i'm so anxious and i feel this urgency because i don't know where my next paycheck's coming from that's a real feeling that's yes. a real anxiety and you need to lean into that not ignore that and not say well other people are have it worse or other people have it better that comparative thinking so lean into those feelings and as you're going through that that track and you're flooding the market with your demos and you're you're meeting as many people as you can just know that most people I, I mean I can't I don't even know a percentage but I'd say 90% of those people will have zero impact on your career but you will find people that do have impact um, so you're doing that on one track and trying to let's say, let's call it your brand or your career and you're trying to promote that and, and advance that. On the other track, this is more of the artistic side of things where you're actually doing the job, where you're actually interviewing the people, you're sending out an email to request an, an interview. You know, you're, you're engaged in the job, not saying, I'm gonna get this interview because that guy's gonna help me do this. It's, I'm gonna get this interview because I'm really interested and I want to 
do this job well and I'm really Absolutely. interested in this person's story so like I always tell students and I tell myself and remind myself all the time focus on being interested as opposed to interesting if, you, if you're trying to be interesting and you say, well, I need to separate myself. I get these questions all the time. How do I separate myself? Don't think about separating yourself. Be your authentic self and be interested. Be interested in your subjects. Be interested in the sport you're covering. Be interested in the people that are working with you, your colleagues. Be interested in everything. And as you ask those questions from an interested perspective, you're going to grow in knowledge. You're going to become the person that people want to be around. Everybody loves telling their story. And so if you're interested in their story, not not fake interested, really interested, like, wow, I can hear you. Like, you're a great interviewer because you just sit there and listen, and I, I may give you something about my career, and you're reacting to it. Like, that's a really great skill that... Yeah. Most people don't listen. They're just waiting for the person to stop talking so they can start with their next thing. But you're engaged with me here. I can already feel that and tell that. And that's a skill that I try to pass along to young broadcasters, man. Like, don't... This is not a show. This is not theater. Be interested in and really interested in an authentic way. And you'll find that when you kind of sift through all of this down the road, years to come you'll have so much more knowledge because you were interested in all kinds of people not just people that can help you but people that can't either yeah. know their stories too and and, and I, I appreciate that, that that you noticed like the the genuine interest that I really do have in, in, in your story and your insight and as well as your your nuggets of gold because because like one thing that um, and, and, I, and I'll share the story with you, and, and I share this with great pride, um, especially like I remember when I was in high school, and especially in college. Like I can remember, and like days where, and like during the summer, like I would watch TV. I would watch um, MLB TV, and I would, and I'm being completely honest, like I would watch your broadcast on on, on FSN Wisconsin, and so forth. And 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 there was just be a certain way that you would interact with with, with Bill Schroeder, the on the, the color guy on, on on FSN Wisconsin, and and it would just be like there's something about the way that you that 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 you interact. And and there's one of the early lessons that I learned was like it's not about being um about coming across as interesting, but like you know actually taking the time to actually listen. And listen, listen, not for the sake of responding, but listen to like, what, what can I learn? And, and I, and I'm, and I'm really interested in, in learning and in, in learning as much as I possibly can from you and, and, and about you um, during, during this process where, where like, honestly, I, I don't even feel like I'm having an interview at this point. I feel like more of a, more than anything, I feel like I'm having an in-depth conversation with uh, with you about about like sports broadcasting and the industry in itself and as well as your story and and whatnot. So I, I really do appreciate that that you that you took note of that. Well it's important and you're you're on it and I would say that you know because you asked me about prep earlier and I think that's the biggest disconnect people want and I, and I know a lot of broadcasters that have people do their prep for them, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's just not right for me. Um, I do my own. I want to research because I, I, I'm very interested in this person's story. So it doesn't matter. Somebody asked me when we were in the position where we were starting 
you know, at one point, there was probably a 48-hour window there. They were talking about doing NBA games in front of no fans. And I had just done an NBA game in San Antonio in front of a sold-out arena on March 10th. Yeah. I went to the Big Ten tournament to do a game on March 12th that I mentioned earlier that was going to be in front of no fans. And, you know, it was almost like people were asking, boy, that's going to be hard. That's going to be very difficult. And honestly, it's not. It, it wasn't going to be for me. I've done plenty of games in front of no crowds. I'm, I was, like I said, I was in the minor leagues for nine years. I've done games with 50 people in the stands before. Wow. That's not the, the point is, it's like these, these, the things that I'm prepping for, the, the research that I'm doing, I'm fascinated by these guys and these stories and these players and why they come up, you know, uh, how they get to this level. Where was the break in the season? Where was their break in their social conscious? Whatever. You know, you're, you're asking questions and finding out. And so you have all of this available to use. And because you've enjoyed the prep and you have it ready, it doesn't matter that I'd prefer to do a game with a crowd, but it doesn't matter that it's there's not going to be there. The real trick is to be in that same mode with your partner or, you know, with your audience and then be able to call on that if you need it. So you won't use, of all the prep you do, you, you use, if you're doing it well, you use about 10, 15% of it. That means 85, 90% is not used, which means you did all that work for nothing. I've, hear, I've heard people say that. Mm. Again, you don't think of it as doing work for nothing. You've learned about people. You've learned about this particular player. You may not have gotten it on the air, but you've learned about it. And that makes you broader and helps you get a better understanding, especially people who come from really tough places and come from struggles. I love international players for that reason. And, um, so I'm not saying everybody has to do it that way. I'm just saying that's what makes me tick. That's why I'm into it the way I am and what the, the way I enjoy going about this job. So uh, every second of my being is trying to get the calls right and make those calls and do my preparation and know the backstories. But I'm totally interested in all that I've learned leading up to every game. And that's why the prep doesn't overwhelm me or get too burdensome. I actually get frustrated like before an NCAA tournament run where we're doing four games in a day because I don't have enough time on the clock wow. to spend learning what I want to learn about all these players because you got to get ready for eight teams in a day. You know, and so for me, it's more a, a first, like a like a shackle. You know, like God, I really, I mean, I really want to know about that guy. But <laughs> I just don't have time right now. Sorry. <laughs> School, maybe two guys. I'm going to dive into and just survive the first day. You know, and then I'll if they advance, I'll dive in when they make it to the round of 32. That's kind of. Well, I I gotta ask you, like, in, in this in, in this was something that that I. It wasn't even planned, but you, but you, but you brought it up, and I, and it got me wondering. Now, you, you are a veteran at doing, um, at doing at NCAA um, tournaments since 2012 for Turner Sports and CBS Sports, and I gotta ask you, like, what is the challenge of like when you're calling multiple games in a particular day? And I, know, and I know you touched on it, um, on for 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 a little bit, but I do wonder when you have such limited time between games and so forth like is there anything you do differently in terms of 
being able to prepare certain notes that 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 will that you can use during the broadcast or or, it, or is the prep work still the same but you you attack it a bit differently knowing that that essentially when the game's over like teams are leaving the court and and then the other teams are coming to also play in that particular site yeah and again i try to put myself in the team's perspective so yes while i have a, i have another game two more teams are coming on the court and we're all resetting and going from there that Somebody has just had the greatest moment of their college career, most likely, and they're advancing. And somebody's just had the most devastating moment of their career. So I'm trying to be tuned into that with each game and realize that, like, this is a this is a huge thing for not only these players, these coaches, the fan bases, especially these small schools. Uh, this is a major happening here, and you know, it starts with the names and getting the names correctly, and rehearsing those names and knowing them well. Um, even the ones that maybe never heard from again. Um, so the the biggest difference is in those days when you're doing the four games a day, and that only happens one day, you just can't possibly do the normal prep. I mean, you can't. You're, you're preparing for eight teams, four games, and you have to be disciplined to limit yourself to, you know, minimal preparation you need to know certainly the background stories as best you can we also have a, a reporter for those games that you know our sideline reporter in our case is Allie LaForce she's digging down deep on some on certain things but you have to trust your vocabulary you have to trust your admin ability the game is the game the play calls that 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 doesn't change it's those spaces between the play calls um, that you feel like you're a little naked compared to a, like if you were doing one game because you don't have all that information and keeping it all straight is another challenge so it's you simplify you simplify you dive into the game people don't want to hear all this media guide wikipedia material in the middle of these games <laughs> anyway because every play matters you know every every inch of these games is so huge and it could be life changing career changing for a lot of these a lot of these people a lot of these players so you just kind of have to remember that and trust that you're not going to look at a big picture. Wow, I've got 10 hours of broadcasting to accomplish here. You know, but you dive into the now. You know, from coming back from commercial, I'm going to get to the next commercial. And I'm just going to get to the next commercial, get to the next commercial, and call it the best I can, trust what I see, trust what I know. And I've done all the work and the mechanics to have a good, strong voice and to use proper breath support and sit up straight and all of that. And, you know, I trust that my voice is going to hold up. And all of those things come into it. But you, you're, you're back to what I said earlier. You're just, if you think about the big picture, it'll be crushing. It's a mental monster. Wow. Um, it's the monster you can't see. If you stay engaged in the now, you just put all these nows together. Next thing you know, 12 hours later, you're back in your hotel room saying, holy cow, I just called four NCAA tournament games. Wow. Uh, that, and that, that in itself is really an amazing an amazing feat in its, in its own right. Now, I want to ask you about, uh, about your upbringing. You, you, you were born and raised in, in Austin, Texas. How much did your upbringing in Texas impact your passion for sports at a young age, which translated into into um, being a broadcaster today. Yeah, I was always a sports fan and a sports kid. As I mentioned, I played all the sports. My, you know, my my parents were 
into it. They weren't athletes themselves, but they, you know, they put us in all kinds of sports just to be active. You know, we, we played everything. We, we uh, played all the sports available, you know, as, as kids. And, you know, the University of Texas, we didn't have a major league franchise baseball or an NFL franchise in my town. I grew up just outside Austin and Georgetown, so mm. it's basically Austin. I was raised in a little town called Georgetown. Wow. And so, you know, I was, um, I, the University of Texas was kind of like the team, all the sports, the baseball, football, basketball teams there that we followed, and that was kind of our big league team. But, you know, my dad, he worked a lot in Houston as he was building his company, and uh, we I would go with him and we would go to Astros games and Houston Oilers games back then. I was a huge Oilers fan. Um, and so I think, you know, my, my dad, as we would watch my older brother, he would listen to the games on the radio. So we were just, sports was a constant part of my life and all the lessons that you learn out of it were important and the stick to the, the setting goals, the work ethic, the exercise, all of that, the competitive nature. And so I'm really glad and blessed that it's a part of my life, and uh, it still is. You know, I can't imagine being without it, and I've been without it here for three weeks or so, and it's a weird sensation, but uh, it's taught me a lot of lessons. So definitely fostered uh, growing up in that area in Central Texas. You know, obviously high school football is huge. Yeah. Um, but the University of Texas was kind of like the bell cow of all that we followed and you know we, we were into all that all, all the basketball all the football baseball but they had a great swimming and diving team they had all these Olympians you know cycling Lance Armstrong uh, was from Austin and you know he was this is prior to all the scandal but you know he was an Olympian and a gold medalist and it's like man it's just like that was basically right in my neighborhood uh, these guys would be riding their bikes so that's amazing yeah so there's a it was a good culture and it was a warm weather culture too you know so you're outside a lot so you were not like here in Wisconsin where I live now it's it's a little different setting you know, we, we were outside all the time playing in the yard playing in the street and just competing I never really played video games at all growing up because uh, I was always outside playing sports that's you and I like I didn't play like video games like a, t- like a ton like when I was growing up especially um, growing up in New York um, where a lot of my time I was outside like playing playing street football and, and in some cases not very smart playing tackle football on concrete which ended up with a lot of bruises and so forth <laughs> It's funny now because I tell kids, so especially at this time when there are no sports, a lot of these students, they ask me how to stay sharp. And I, I keep telling them, like, man, you need to find up NBA 2K or MLB the show and, and just call those simulations. Oh, yeah. Just call them because they're so realistic and lifelike now. So it's I never played them, but it's always really interesting that you could do that uh, and actually record yourself and literally get some decent tape out of that because there's crowd noise there's you know the names are the same it looks really good so it is a great tool right now absolutely and i want to fast forward to a specific time this is let's go this is winter of 2006-2007 it's january 2007 you've just been named the new play-by-play announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers. What were the the the, the human emotions that you felt 
being named to be the television voice of a singular team and what I, what did you feel what are your memories from that day well it was a dream come true I mean I, I'd always my goal when I first started out in this industry was to be a major league broadcaster I, I always kind of imagined I would be you know I would pop out at a major league radio play-by-play announcer like maybe a number two guy um, so when this whole process came up and and I, I at the time was with the golf channel I had worked golf events for four years and yeah. really important time in my life when I was calling golf and I was on the air more importantly I was on the air every every day we were doing four days a week 25 weeks a year so I was doing a hundred opens you know on camera four or five times in those three hour broadcast two hour broadcast and so I was getting incredible reps of just just being on camera just being in a suit you know and just presenting yourself on camera and be able to be to be seen but also providing content like there's that whole wave of being nervous how do i look to like i don't have time to even think about that whatever the camera's showing is what they're showing i've got i'm i'm into the content here we're talking about the players so it kind of all surfaced uh, with this job at the Brewers and um, you know it was a dream come true I remember I got the offer I kind of kept surviving the round so I, I didn't even think anything of it if you backpedal up to you know November of 06 yeah. December of 06 I was still working for the San Antonio Spurs too so you know I was busy as a sideline reporter with the Spurs they, that was the year they won another championship yes um, so I'm kind of like locked into that and wasn't thinking much of it. And, um, you know, I, I, there was like 150 applicants and I was not doing major league baseball. So I just totally dismissed it. And then I got a call and they wanted to talk. And then it was like down to 60. And then I got another phone call from a higher up executive. Now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this is getting real now. Mm. And then it was down to 20, and then it was down to 9, and then they called me and said, we'd like to fly to Milwaukee. There's four of you left. Wow. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, my head is spinning, and this is what I've always wanted and always wanted to do, but I'm not ready for this. I don't even want, you know, I, I'm happy doing golf, all those new things that were coming. I've never even done a major league game on television. I've done thousands of minor league games on the radio, but none on television. And I, but, but I had done a lot of television, golf and basketball and all that. So um, it was it was their vision to kind of see me as this television announcer in other sports, but also all this baseball experience. And um, I got the offer. You know, I went in for the interview, and I did a nine-hour interview. Wow! With various people in various departments interviewing me. Did a demo, did a mock-up, did a fake interview, all that stuff. Uh, talked to you know HR people and marketing people and broadcasting people, the CEO, all of it. And uh, went home, didn't think much of it. Two weeks later, I was coming out of a Christmas Eve church service and got a phone call from the Brewers, and they said we'd like to make you an offer. And my jaw hit the floor, man. I was speechless. Wow. I didn't like. I didn't say a word. And I was kind of tearing up, and the guy, the, 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 my future boss was on the other end. His name's Tyler Barnes. He's like, hello? Why <laughs> <laughs> are you still there? I'm oh, sorry. I was like, oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> man, I'm, 
Oh, he goes, are you excited? I'm like, you have no idea. Speechless. And I'm still, I can totally go back to that moment. And I can remember just driving home, my wife sitting next to me, and I was just like, mouth breathing. Wow. I didn't even know what to say or think or do. Like, holy crap. Was one, like, my whole life just changed. I'm going to move my whole family to Wisconsin. I'm going to be the Brewers TV announcer in, let's see, three months? Wow. Crazy. And so, anyway, that started this whole anxiety, stress. Oh my God, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Ultimately, it led to the first game. And then, you know, uh, then. And, and like I said, it, it changed my life. It tripled my income. It, I was working for a team. I had health insurance. I didn't have to go get freelancers insurance. I was part of a group, you know. And then what's funny is I, I take over and I do this job. And, um, and there's a lot of criticism. Because remember, I'd come from the Golf Channel. So yeah. the headline in the newspaper in the Milwaukee Journal Center was Brewers Hired Golf Announcer. Oh. With the byline of as if Brewers, and they were not good at this time, as if the Brewers weren't boring enough, they hire a boring golf announcer, basically. Yeah. So I had to kind of overcome all of that, too. But, you know, by the end of that year, in 07, I got asked to do, I got asked to fill in for Joe Buck on a national game wow. to work with Tim McCarver. A year earlier, I had not. Major League Baseball was the last thing on my mind. Now I'm doing a national pennant race game between the Mets and the Marlins with Tim Carver. And I was thinking like, oh man, nine years in the minor leagues and five months on this job, I'm doing a national game that's going to 70% of the country. Question. What what in the world that was happening in my life? Was that game the same weekend of the Mets' historic collapse Late, that was late. A precursor to it, yeah. So both remember 07 and 08, they had major collapses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Billy Randolph was managing. They lost this game uh, that I did. Um, but yeah, there, this, was, this was an early September game. Joe had to go do a football game. Yeah. And I think Josh Lewin was kind of their, their guy who they were using as the number two guy at that point. And mm. he was doing the NFL as well. So they ended up not being able to get Josh to. I feel like he was doing the Chargers back then. They couldn't yeah, get was. him from San Diego to Miami in time, or vice versa. They couldn't get him from Miami on a Saturday to an NFL game on a Sunday in San Diego, something like that. So they called me. I, I was in Atlanta doing the Braves Brewers, and I, I think because I was the, the closest um, proximity in the Fox family with the regionals, they yeah. said, well, let's just let him do it. And I did it. And it went great. And I knew both teams really well, obviously. Like, I knew I knew them. And Tim McCarver, even just after the game, said, wow, you were fantastic. And was just really positive and encouraging to me. And then the next year, I got hired by Turner to do the MLB postseason. So, you know, it, it, did, it went really fast. And when I say the Brewers changed my life, they, they certainly did. That job changed my trajectory forever. And I'm forever in great, you know, indebted to them and grateful. And I want to ask you about 2008. Because as a, as a lifelong baseball fan and a person who absolutely loves baseball history, 2008 was, was in more ways than one, uh, an important yet sentimental year in Milwaukee. You had 
the soundtrack to a summer that Brewer fans will, will never forget. And I want to ask you, what was it like on that final day of the 2008 season, knowing that the Brewers and Cece Sabathia, who was just absolutely, I don't think there's any real, any real words to describe just how incredible he was down the stretch for the Brewers. Um, like Describe the, the, the scene and the emotions of that final day of the 2008 regular season for the Brewers to punch their ticket into October for the first time since 1982. Yeah, that's a special day in my memory and certainly a special day in Brewers fans' hearts too. And, and remember when that game ended, Sabathia went the distance. Uh, he got a double play to win the game. Yeah. Um, at that moment, the Mets and the Marlins were at Chase Stadium and they were still playing. So... Um, we didn't know yet. You knew they were going to be in a tiebreaker scenario at the worst. Yeah. Uh, but if the Marlins beat the Mets, then the Brewers would go to the wild card game. Um, so they knew they had made at least one more game, potentially a game one sixty three tiebreaker. So the euphoria of the crowd and just that moment, and CC just being this incredible rock star coming in here. It's like you know I had been around Michael Jordan and the Bulls when I was covering the Spurs and I, I had kind of seen that next level superstar and in baseball terms Sabathia was that I mean, yeah. he was not Jordan but he was like that in the baseball circle Absolutely. and backing up a little bit too the fact that Sabathia showed up and did what he did put me in uh, on Sports Center highlights every night he, 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 absolutely yes and that's kind yeah. of why Turner found me actually they, you know I keep showing up on all these big calls and these massive moments and Sabathia is just like every time he pitched was incredible and, and he would go complete games like he was yeah, just, yeah. He would just he, and he would pitch on three days rest and it just like all of this incredible superhero stuff that he was doing he was also a hitter and he's hitting home runs and so anyway that kind of put me on the map with Turner they were looking for a young announcer CC Sabathia put all of us in the spotlight on a national level because the Brewers were must-see TV. I mean, that was like yeah. everybody was watching the Brewers. They were doing cut-ins for our games. You know, everybody. This is before MLB Network. Correct. So this is yep. This is like you know ESPN's dropping it on the Fox broadcast, which is me. And so I always tell CC like he's been he's been huge in my career, and um, he brought a lot of eyeballs to Milwaukee, and and that was a special moment. I mean to. To, you know, I wasn't around for all of that. This is only my second year in 2008 to, wow. to be able to eradicate 26 years of, of playoff drought um, and just see that unfold was incredible. And then not just the ending of the game, but now we put the Mets and Marlins up on the big screen and now all the players are underneath and I'm running downstairs to do interviews. Wow. And we're all waiting for this Mets game to end. And the Marlins beat them. Uh, and it, it was like the same feeling 30 minutes later that you just had when the game ended with a double play. This like roar of the crowd and all the players came pouring out of the clubhouse and into the into the dugout and onto the field now because nobody left. Imagine 30 minutes after a game and there's still 44,000 people in the stands. I remember seeing that on and that night. Yeah, it was I'm standing on top. I'm in the clubhouse doing interviews. I'm standing on the dugout doing interviews. People are going crazy on the field and it was just 
I'll never forget that year and that moment. Uh, I had to turn around and go call the Brewers in the playoffs in the division series. Against the uh, Phillies. Against the Phillies. Yeah. But, you know, that, that wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, to have to switch gears and go from, like, this is my team and my my city and all that. And they're like, oh, I'm Mr. National announcer now. I can't be excited about, you know, over the top about this. But, yeah, it yeah. was a really great time, man. So I, I really, that in 2011. And then, you know, with... The Brewers have done some winning since, you know. They've yes. won the division under Ron Rennecke in 17 and with Council at the helm. And so they won in 11. They won again in 17. They've been to the playoffs, you know, consecutive years now. And so it's, it's there's good times here in Milwaukee, for sure. Absolutely. Now, I want to get to on 2011 in, in just a, a little a little later on. But one thing that that, that stood out to me in, in, in listening to uh, especially – what that 2008 season meant to you, and as well as especially the penetrance of 2008, but in more ways than one, to me, in, in my in my humble opinion, there's a date that I have in mind, and I and I and I wonder if it's going to trigger a, a specific memory for you, and that date is October 6, 2010. For me personally, it was the day after my 19th birthday. I'm in college, and being a baseball nut that I am, now the Yankees entering that October, they were defending World Series champions, but but there was something about Roy Halladay in his first ever postseason start against the best offensive team in the National League that year in the Cincinnati Reds. Take me back and take all of us back to that particular evening and that night as to... The history that was unfolding in a way that can only happen on a baseball diamond, if you will. Yeah, that's true. And the game started, I think the, the game started at 5 Eastern. Yes. Maybe. So when mm-hmm. that game ended, it was prime time. It was a very quick game. It only lasted, I want to say, maybe like two hours and 15, 17 minutes. Uh, Halliday was just dominant, just carving them up. So, you know, the precursor to that was I... I Joe Simpson and I were supposed to, and David Aldridge, were supposed to call the Giants and the Braves series. Wow. Until about three days prior to that, we were preparing for Giants-Braves. They had already secured their spot in the division series. We were going to do that that series. Joe works for the Braves. He knew that team intimately. Um, And they never hesitate to put put you on your team like I did the Brewers in 08 and 11. Yeah. So that was kind of what we were doing. I wasn't even paying attention to the Phillies and the Reds at that point because I knew my series was going to be Giants and uh, Braves. And so about three days before, I got a call saying, hey, we're going to change. We're going to shift gears here. We're going to put you on Phillies-Reds. And I, I remember being upset about that. Not because not I didn't – I mean, playoff baseball is, is great, but yeah. just the amount of prep I had already done, and now I was going to have to jump back in and do – in three days, going to have to do as much as I could. And so I can remember going into that game like, man, am I ready for this? Have I had enough time to – I didn't give it a, a, the same kind of time I did the Giants-Braves because I didn't have enough time to give it that that energy. So, you know, I felt a little uneasy about that. Um, and we were just like, man, I hope we get a well-pitched game so it's crisp, you know, and it's a good game so we don't have to get into a lot of this background. And, of course, it was historic. You're not thinking that. But I do remember saying after the third inning, I looked at Joe in commercial, and I said, man, 
he's got no hit stuff today. Wow. And, and I've never said that that early ever. And I've called a bunch of no hitters. And, uh, I had never, I've never said that. And so I, by the fifth inning, it was like they had no chance. I mean, he is carving them up in a way you can just see the way they're stepping out of the box or swinging yeah. the first pitches. Um, Travis Wood almost broke out. He had the closest thing to a hit in that game. The pitcher who had come in relief. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He hit a bullet to right. He was a good athlete member of Travis Wood. Yeah. He hit a bullet to right field and the work made a sliding catch. But that's it. That was as close as it got. I mean, they didn't have a chance that day. So in the fifth inning, he walks Jay Bruce. Perfect game's over. And I, and I remember saying as, he's, as we're going to commercial, well, the perfect game's lost, but the no-hitter still intact. And knowing that was going to piss off a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> I subscribed to the theory of uh, you know not mentioning no hitters, and I knew we were kind of slipping in also into that prime time window. Yeah, and people maybe just getting home from work, and so I wanted, and I and I said it a lot. And he's he's got six no hit innings, he's got seven no hit innings, he's he's nine outs away, seven outs away, four outs away. So um, as it got closer and closer, you know the nerves start. You know, getting pretty intense, and you start. At one point, I forgot Don Larson's first name, and I'm kind of a historian, and I know wow. Don Larson intimately, and I know his story. And I was like, "Wait, what's his first name? I forgot. Is it Ben?" <laughs> and I was totally freaking out for a minute. And I said, "Just breathe, man," <laughs> and call the stupid game. And, and then, you know, like I said, like I told you earlier, you gotta. You got to put the blinders up and be in the moment. Absolutely. Was, at that point, same as when I did the Brewers for the first time, or my first time on the air with the missions and the Texas League. Just trust your words, trust what you're seeing, be in the moment, and call what you see. And that's what I did. And we just, and the game was a masterpiece. And I thought our broadcast was very good and very clean and just everybody in the truck all our tape ops our camera operators everybody was on top of their game and and we delivered in that moment and it was it was a great feeling to know we didn't ruin it uh, because it never been that was the first time and still is the first and only time that a no hitter in the postseason had been televised Larson's perfect game was not on television wow it was only it was only on radio and on live television. It was not on live television. We were, so we were the first time anybody's ever seen this happen. Actually happen, yeah. Um, and, it, and it was that was another big, you know, seminal moment in my career that kind of took it to another level. Now the executives felt like they could trust me with big games, which prior to that, they, they hadn't. It's not that they didn't, but they just weren't at that level with me yet. Gotcha. I was like him. He's doing good in what he's doing now, yeah. but can he do the big games? And then, I mean, when I did that game, that's when, you know, everything kind of launched. Like, they put me on the NCAA tournament two years later. They put me on the NBA playoffs four years after that. They put me on the PGA championship. Like, then as things began to be available, because of the holiday no-hitter, they started trusting me with, you know, the big games. And, you know, like, we, you talk about like because of that, the, the, the Roy Holiday no hitter in, in October 2010, that 
like the the big executive at the big networks began to entrust you with with big assignments and so forth. And I want I want to step away from baseball. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But but you also had the opportunity, and as well as you're currently the the voice on the NBA on TNT since 2014. And and this is absolutely perfect timing because today is a is is a um, is a bittersweet day in more ways more ways than one in which that Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and and Kevin Garnett were all inducted into the into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, you haven't had the opportunity, <clears throat> pardon me, to 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 call the, on the cover of the NBA for TNT since 2014. What are some of your personal memories? Of being of having the opportunity to watch them from afar, or even up close and personal, I'm calling a game or anything like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I I work for the Spurs. A lot of people don't know this, um, and you know, there a lot of people don't. I think when I show up, and I'm kind of the third guy on TNT. So you got Marv Albert, and everybody knows him, and Kevin Harlan. I'm kind of the other guy. <laughs> so. <laughs> And that's fine, and that's totally fine, and I, I love doing it, and I've, I've been at it since the 2014 season, so this is my sixth year with, with TNT on the NBA, but I did, I was with the San Antonio Spurs for 12 years, first as I kind of worked in their production as a cameraman and graphics and audio, and then I got on the air with the Spurs as a sideline reporter in, mm. in 99, so I was with the Spurs on air from 99 to 2006 yeah. through the 2000s and part of the 2007 season when I left to go to the Brewers so I mean I had been in the NBA a lot as a reporter at the shoot-arounds covering every game um, different role than play-by-play but I had immersed into the NBA all those years so you know I've seen all those players and I got to I got to live the Tim Duncan experience firsthand. I mean, I was with him. I, I, I was with the Spurs for their first four championships. Wow. Four of their five, uh, including their first one in 99, um, which Phil, uh, Phil Jackson put an asterisk on that year. And so <laughs> I, was, I was there when Greg Popovich got hired. Uh, I I knew I used to play golf with Bob Hill. Wow. Uh, Popovich replaced. Like, I was totally immersed in the Spurs culture and the NBA mm. culture. And, so this was a coming back to the NBA for me when I went to TNT. And, you know, there are a lot of writers and media critics that kind of dismiss that, which always baffles my mind. Like, like literally make one click on Wikipedia and you'll see that I've been involved in the NBA for a lot of years. But, um, you know, that it was, it was great to see guys like Kobe play and Michael Jordan. I mean, I remember... I remember when Jordan would come to town with the Bulls, I, even when I was a cameraman back in those days, and just like man, standing next to him because I was a handheld on the floor. And, you know, so all, to be able to witness those guys, you know there's greatness in the building. Same with Kobe. Absolutely. And I had to do the game. Jimmy Jackson and I did the first game back after Kobe had passed on a Tuesday night on TNT. And it wow. was followed the one-hour show that Ernie, Chuck, and Shaq, and Kenny did from from Staples Center yeah. an empty Staples Center like that was a very somber um, show now we have to do a game um, so that was really difficult uh, to do and obviously I've called a lot of Kobe's games and it's been a part of a lot of his games being in the West with the Spurs saw a lot of the Lakers uh, back in those days so yeah man I mean it, it's brutal that, it was brutal what happened and 
life is precious and you know, trying to find that balance as a broadcaster alright am I going to punch these calls here or am I going to How? so I just kind of like went into it like whatever emotion has happened I'm just going to lean into it and that's what it'll be Jim Jackson my partner was fantastic he played with Kobe they were friends Wow. So I let him have as much floor and space as he wanted when he wanted to talk about it. And we just kind of rolled through the game that way and ended up being a great game um, in Miami that night. But, um, you know, so, yeah, you, you, you know your place. You know the history of it. You're still trying to just do a game, but you're also trying to be respectful to what has just happened and what the players are going through in, in that moment. And the rest of the year, I mean, the All-Star the All-Star weekend was the same feeling absolutely you know, we're all yes. kind of having fun but man it was such a beautiful Kobe tribute and this next round in the Hall of Fame and certainly Tim Duncan is worthy and one of my favorite players I've ever covered and favorite he and CC Sabathia are my top two that I've ever been around in my life wow now I want to ask you this because, like, because you 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 were a um, silent reporter for the San Antonio Spurs as as, as, you, as you we've discussed, and ESPN is coming out with a phenomenal documentary in two weeks. They, thankfully, it's been um, expedited in terms of like its its air date, it's um, and so forth, and it, it it's all about the '90s Bulls, and you had. Like you, you, you had an opportunity to watch Jordan and the Bulls in the '90s, especially being in the Western um, Conference, um, and, and, and so forth. And one thing I want to ask you is, like, what are some of you, what are some of your fondest memories of watching that on those those Chicago Bulls teams from that era, and and in which that we may we may not and have not seen anything in the likes of it um, ever again or even since. Yeah, they're just a special team. And, you know, like I said, just being in awe when they showed up. I mean, they were the Beatles. They, you know, the hotel was different because I, I would even go, as part of my job back then as a cameraman, I would I would shoot them like getting on the bus or, or coming off the bus. And the hotel there was just a different scene when the Bulls arrived. I mean, Jordan was the biggest rock star on the face of the earth and the most yeah. high-profile athlete. And just to watch him play, you know, it was greatness. But it wasn't just Michael either. It was Pippen and it was... It was it, it was Dennis Rodman who ended up playing for the Spurs and a guy that I covered and got to know. Steve Kerr. That. It, Steve, Steve Kerr was the sharpshooter and just like the way their team was constructed and yeah. having conversations with Phil Jackson even. You know, he was a baseball player. Um, and we would, when we would go cover the shoot-arounds or whatnot, and just a regular dude, you know, and we'd have great talks with him about him playing and kind of these semi-pro leagues, playing first base and, you know, telling him that I was a minor league announcer at the time. And he's like, oh, man, it's great. I love baseball. (laughs) Those little weird moments that, and then, of course, all the moments that everybody knows and the famous, the famous moments. But, I mean, I don't think there'll be another team like that. The Warriors are kind of trending that way, but um, that that just, that's never going to happen again. And, and it was, I was glad to have a front row seat for it. I didn't, cover them like I did the Spurs and wasn't around them as much as I was San Antonio but you know I was around them enough and I did enough games to to be in their presence and through all those years that you know I, I got the full taste of what the 90s Bulls were all about 
And you know what? One thing that I tell people, especially that I have this argument with with today's um, younger generation, as someone who grew up watching the NBA in the '90s, especially with Jordan and as well as the rise of the San Antonio Spurs with with with, uh, with David Robinson and, uh, and, and and Tim Duncan just coming into his own, especially the, the year that they won their first title in '99, beating the New York Knicks and and so forth. So it was one of those. Instances where, like, I, I have a greater appreciation of the type of NBA product that we that we all were able to watch on television back then, and and and, and even versus now. Like, what would you say is like the biggest difference in terms of um, the NBA's on, on TV product now versus um, back in the nineties, where where like the the late commissioner Dave David Stern, Hall of Famer, was about globalizing the game and not to say that it's not the case now but it really felt it, uh, the league had a more of an international impact back during that era yeah I mean I think the game's totally different you know it was a, it was a very physical game back then and you know scores were typically under 100 or around 100 especially in the playoffs so yeah. you know the game is I think the game is is more entertaining now across the board the depth of it you know because of the the skill and the spacing and I love the game now it's a, it's a beautiful product it, it moves fast it's um, it, it's a nice it's a it's a nice viewing opportunity is what it is these players are celebrities they're they're recognizable their stories are interesting I mean so comparing eras you know it, it uh, it's hard to because it was just such a different game back then way more physical way yeah. more clamping and clutching and you, know, you couldn't see the skill that you see now so I, I loved it back then it made me a fan of the NBA and I certainly love it now I love covering the NBA it's just it gives me great energy to go call an NBA game especially an NBA playoff game so I'm I'm, I'm partial to the way the game is played now but I also appreciate that era and all eras for what it has led to and so I'm and that was my childhood basically my, my early adulthood wow. my late childhood when, when Jordan came to the league and then my early adulthood as a professional in the business um, to be able to witness that now you've had the opportunity to um, to do the PJ Championship since 2016 now what's the biggest challenge in regards to um, covering golf, where whereas it's not a team-oriented game, it's all about the individual and and and, and the and the mental battles that that each golfer has to go th- go through on different golf courses and so forth. Yeah, definitely a, a fascinating sport to cover. There's not one ball at play. There's typically fifty or sixty at any time, and you're trying to figure out what the most important shots to cover are. Whether you do them live, whether you put them on tape, and you know, there's all the space to fill. So while from an audience perspective, it moves slowly and it's kind of a meandering pace. On the other side, I, I, I explain it like a duck on the water. So you look above the water, the duck is smoothly gliding along. And then you look below the water, and his feet are frantically paddling. And that's kind of what a golf broadcast is like. So you're, uh, it's, it's great attention to detail to produce that and to deliver a golf on television. But you know, golf's interesting because they're all these players are their own corporations. You know, they're their own business, and it's the ultimate show up, put up the score, and get paid or not. I mean, there's no protecting a prospect. There's no there's no role players. 
it's put up put up the score or don't and that's how you make a living so I love that aspect about it I love it I mean it's like the ultimate this is me this is my score and is it good enough and if it's not it's move on find another line of work if it is then you can excel in this industry so um that's what I love about golf and it's a fascinating sport it's a really hard sport to learn how to play same frustrations a tour player may have competing as you might have um, in, in at your local club or on a, on a muni course it's like you know that you know that emotion you can connect with these players on some level because we've all been there and it's a game you can play till you're physically unable into your old old age you know it's, yeah. It's a fascinating sport for that, which makes it a fascinating sport to cover. The professional game and the recreational game is totally different, but there are elements to it that make this great connection with so many different generations. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of golf. I love to play it. I love to call it. And calling the PGA Championship is one of the greatest honors of my life I mean uh, I did it for four years and I loved every second of it wow and in, in, in one of the thing that I that I've always been curious about golf before before I switch back to, to baseball just a quick moment is that golf in a way reminds me of a picture where it's just you out there in the middle of the diamond but in golf it's just you out there I mean, being surrounded by spectators, but it's just you, and and the the, the more the mental challenge, and, and especially like with uh, with broadcasters that I've always found fascinating is, especially those who, who who call it for a living, is being able to talk about the mental challenges that comes with it. Like, why is it so mentally challenging, and so forth, where it could feel as if that you are um, you are all alone. And, and in some and in some aspects, like you, in a way, you you kind of are, and, and and so forth. Like as someone who 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 has been a long time fan of the game, as well as now I'm covering it. Would you say that one of the challenges of 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 of, of broadcasting golf would be um, like discussing like what? What each player's tendencies are, or 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 like or like the like the different challenges that each golf course presents, because not every golf course is the same. Especially when you talk about Augusta, and so forth, like the Masters, or in in, in so forth, or or, or and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, the the that's part of the broadcast. I believe that's interesting. Is you have a lot more analysts, so instead of just having one analyst like a Tony Romo or you know uh, Kevin McHale or Chris Webber, you've got multiple analysts who have all played the sport at a high level so you have the person sitting next to you but you have all these experts on the ground as well and so you know from a play-by-play perspective you're more the quarterback getting it from A to B and then you let them do all the analysis and talk through it and I use a lot of the mental approach of golf in broadcasting as well so golfers talk a lot about hey this is the first time I've been in the fire and I was I was interested to see how I would hold up under pressure, um, how my swing would hold up, how the brain to physical movements would match. And, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing. That's something you need to experience. And same way with broadcasting. So I, I use that a lot. Like, don't be so hard on yourself when you're first starting out as a broadcaster. Mm. You know, those are new experiences. Just did you hold up and how did you hold up? And if not, evaluate what, where you kind of fell behind 
um, same with the golf. That's where I learned that from from golfers. So I, I think that's fascinating to bring up and discuss and talk about because it's something we can all relate to in some part of our daily lives. And now, in terms of in, ter- in terms of um, baseball and especially like the, the Brewers and whatnot, now you've had some absolute clinics of of series and moments that you've been fortunate to to have called um, in your career um and so forth now you've had two instances where you've had to call the, the brewers on a national stage in in, in which like 2008 the, the nlds between the, the phillies and the brewers 2011 the nlcs between the Cardinals um, and, and, and the Brewers, what is what would you say is like the one adjustment that you had to make in terms of going from, hey, I'm a play-by-play announcer for a singular local market to a national market? Yeah, it's a big uh, challenge to do that in the in the beginning. No, it's had it now, but you, the basic idea is that when you do a national game, you you celebrate success, no matter what team. You're celebrating success. I'm more of a positive announcer. I'm not the guy that's gonna pick apart all the negatives and who's failing. I, I tend to celebrate the success because for every you know failure on the other side of that is somebody who's had success against it. So I would necessarily a little a pitcher for giving up a home run I'm more likely to jump on the, the hitter for hitting the home run right yeah so I, I you do that for both teams when you're doing a local broadcast you're framing everything through the Brewers perspective so um, good or bad and you're being honest I, I I try to be honest I don't I don't think I'm a homer announcer no not wrong cater the broadcast toward Brewer fans because that's 90% of our audience so how this affects the Brewers, how this is going to, this play could affect this player on the Brewers. I don't really think much about the other team uh, in the big picture. National broadcast, you're constantly toggling back and forth and celebrating success of both teams, which means when Albert Pujols hits a home run in the NLCS for the Cardinals and you get really loud about that, there's going to be Brewers fans that aren't going to be happy with you. <laughs> part of it. So that's just part of the whole you know, it's, it's, it's part of the whole thing um, that you're you're a little more down the middle, um, and a lot of a lot of people are homers. I mean, I, I remember the Spurs owner Peter Holt used to tell us, "I want you to be for the Spurs. I don't want you to be for the other team. So if that's going to challenge your journalistic integrity, go work for somebody else." Mm. So their broadcast, and even as I was a reporter there. Was it's kind of more fan oriented toward the Spurs? They say things like "we" and you know, if the Spurs didn't get a foul, it'd be like, "Ah, oh, man, they didn't get a foul." You know what I mean? So yeah. It's some whoever you're working for, they all have different perspectives. Our owner with the Brewers is great, Mark Adonacio, New York guy who likes a pretty even broadcast, but he also wants it to be a Brewer oriented broadcast. But you can point out the successes of the other team and other players he's not so stringent on that like stop talking good about this particular guy um, but if Albert Pujols it's a home run against the Brewers and I'm on the Brewers broadcast I'm not going to punch it yeah. like I would if he hit a playoff home run and I'm on a national broadcast wow and, and, and you know the one, one thing that I've 
always been a big fan of is especially in broadcasting is that broadcasters who have a very they they, they have they have a a very unique like skill set something that makes them very special in their in, in their in their own way and, and in Milwaukee I'm going to be honest like you the organization is blessed with you and one name in particular who I know that you've 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 gotten quite quite acquainted with over the years, and that's Mr. Baseball, Mr. Bob Euchre. Tell us about like the first time that you you've met Mr. Bob Euchre, his his his, uh, his interactions with you, and just give us an insight as to like the kind of person that he is on a day to day basis, especially given that although he's he works in radio, but still you're still in that in that same fraternity. Yeah, he, he's just a, he's a genius, man. He's a comedic genius, and he's been great doing this play-by-play job. He's known in two circles. One is an entertainer, comedian, uh, sitcom actor, Johnny Carson guest, all that. And then, but he's, his his one constant has been his play-by-play job at the Brewers. Yeah, going back to 1971. So um, he's just an extremely famous person. Uh, probably the most famous person that I I know or have ever met. Um, he's world renowned everybody knows him everybody wants to hang out with him you have a, a wide range of people that want to be near him when they come to the ballpark um, from you know Miss Americas to politicians to former athletes it's just it's crazy um, <laughs> and he's just he's a, he's a great guy man I mean he's he's just He's really, he's hilarious, he's awesome at what he does, he doesn't think of himself as a broadcaster, he thinks of himself as a former player, so we don't have really any deep broadcasting philosophy conversations, but when I first started with the Brewers in 07, he did take me out, we played golf, and he kind of gave me the whole rundown, like, this is who's important, this is who never to mess with, this is how the culture works, this is like the hierarchy, he kind of like laid it out for me, and... I'll always be thankful for that. So we, we talk all the time. I just texted him the other day. He's doing well. He's still in Arizona. He's in Milwaukee, but, you know, um, he's an icon. And <laughs> we treat him like an icon, even though he hates that. But he's, it's, it's, a, it's a real honor to be around him as much as I have all these years. And, uh, and and last question, um, and, and before, I, before I wrap up the interview, um, is in conclusion... You've 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 had a, a pretty remarkable career, considering your, your your origins, that has led you up to this point. And the one thing I want to ask you is, and this is for um for for everyone and anyone who who will um, in fact listen to this um to this later on, is what is the number one piece of piece of wisdom and advice. That you would impart on for anyone who is looking to get into this industry, whether if it's a, as a bro, as a play-by-play broadcaster or as a, ra- a radio host and, and so forth. Like, what's the number one piece of advice that you would impart on on anyone who's looking to get into this business? Well, you got to be your authentic self because you can't survive without it. Whatever that, wherever that lands you, be okay with that. Doesn't mean you're not looking for ways to improve and sharpen your axe and be better. Um, and then most importantly, remember that the process of all of this, I call it being in the mud. Mm. When you're in the mud with it all, the process is the gift. The outcome is just the bonus, but the process is the gift. So as best as you can, 
take self out of it. When self takes over, there's no more gratitude, there's no more wonder. If you're saying to yourself, you know, I, I'm not getting my due, or I, I, I'm entitled, or I'm owed this, you're beat. So you want to get to the point where you're saying, I get to do this today. Uh, even if it stinks and you're not making any money and you're not paying your bills, but if it's what you love to do and your passion, then say to yourself, I get to do it. Um, and eliminate that part of self that is is chirping in your ear that, man, you're owed better, you're entitled to more, you're due more. Not to say you're not, but just put the blinders up and be in the moment and focus on doing your job well and then improving and being open to listen to listening to critiques and feedback and what people are saying might make you angry if somebody rips you on Twitter but they might be right too it doesn't mean they're always right but yeah. know the difference um, so you know dying to self for any walk of life in any industry and in any way to function is is the most important thing I can offer and if you just do that um, and follow kind of what you think is right that day to get to the next day, then I think you'll be fine. At least you'll be fulfilled in an authentic way. Mr. Brian Anderson, television voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, MLB on TBS, and the NBA on TNT. It's, it's been an absolute honor and a privilege to have had the opportunity to speak with you um, today. And thank you so much for for taking the time out to um, to join me on this episode and as well as um like imparting some really good advice that um that I surely will um not only just look back on but even um to to listen to again every every, every time and any time that I may need that reminder and I, I want to say thank you so much and uh, and this is definitely not the not the end at all I I definitely hope that that you you will allow me in, in your good graces to be able to like talk to you furthermore down down the line and so forth, especially um, on moving forward after this after this very moment. Of course, man. Always happy to help. You're doing a great job. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you, thank you so much, um, on Mr. Anderson, and um, send my well wishes to your wife, your kids. Hope that you stay healthy, stay well, and look forward to hearing you um, doing doing Brewer games again real soon once baseball resumes. All right, same to you, my friend. So long. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Sugar Rights Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Brian Anderson, and I look forward to talking with you again real soon. Take care and stay safe, stay healthy, and have a great day.